Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Well, good morning, Highland. So about three summers ago, I found myself on a trip called Trek that happens in Colorado. Now, Trek is a a week-long trip where you take a group of young, impressionable teenagers, you take away their phones, you make them sleep on the ground, eat spam out of a can. It's great. And on this trip, uh, we get to climb and summit a mountain in Colorado. We are on our final leg of our journey. We are one hike away from summiting, so we're making camp that evening, getting ready for this exciting adventure happening the next day. And our guides come to us and they say, hey, you know, if you wanted to, we could do a sunrise hike, a sunrise summit. You know, the weather's right, we're at the right distance away, uh, and a sunrise summit is where you wake up really, really early in the morning so that by the time you get to the top, you get to watch the sunrise. Well, we're like, sure, you know, this is barely, we hardly get to do this, so why not go big, right? So we wake up around 3 a.m. in the morning, roll out of bed, grab our small packs, and we begin to stumble around in the dark. I don't know if you know this about, you know, climbing or mountains, but the higher you get, the colder it gets. It's funny how it works that way, but it gets colder, and, and the wind begins to pick up in strength, And we are just miserable. You know, it is in the dark. It is pitch black, freezing cold. And and this is the part of the story that maybe only some of you will be able to sympathize with, and the rest will have to use your imagination. But for those of you who wear contacts, you know that contacts do not love extreme weather, like dry air, cold winds, things like that. And as we are hiking along in the middle of the night, I I can begin to feel my contacts get irritated and itchy and dry, and I begin to think, oh, no, this is not good. This is not good. I need my eyes right now, right? So we keep on hiking for a couple more hours, and we are reaching the summit of this mountain after hours. This is a culmination of four days of sleeping on the ground, hiking in the woods, dealing with teenagers who are cranky because they don't have their phones, We're reaching the top, and I can hardly see a thing. As the the sun illuminates this uh, landscape, my eyes feel, my contacts feel as if they're glued to my eyeballs. Everything's this fuzzy, patchy vision of just kind of nothingness. And I'm squinting and having to blink my eyes really hard to see. And, you know, that, that moment was not as satisfying as I thought it was going to be. It's not what I had expected You know, everyone around me was enjoying this, you know, only happens a few times in your life. You and I was over in the corner just wishing I'd grab my glasses that I left at base camp or or wishing I could just be off this mountain and back home and in my own bed, kind of sick of this experience now. I I was living this, this hazy life where it was really hard to be present. It was hard to be grateful for where I was or even the amazing experience of the days before of being able to you know, get paid to go on trips like this. That was what I got to do for a living. But in that moment, it was hard to be present. It was hard to be satisfied. 
And you might be wondering, okay, what, what's the point of this? It sounds like you're venting, which, you know, honestly, I, I kind of am. I'm still pretty upset about it. But here's where we're going this morning. A life that is hazy, a life that feels fuzzy, disconnected from reality, a life where it's hard to be present is not the life God has called you to live. And in fact, it's the opposite. God has called us into a life where we can see distinctly his wonders around us and not just on mountaintops, but every single day right now here in worship, being able to see clearly the wonders of God in our present time. So Highland, what I would like for us to do today is envision, imagine what that kind of life looks like. What would, what would change about us if we could see clearly, live presently with God? What would that look like? What would that change about our hearts and our souls? You know, Paul asks and wonders a very similar questions in Ephesians chapter 1, where he says this, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that makes God known to you. I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call, what is his richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers, and what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working among us believers. This morning, we look to ask the question, do the eyes of our hearts have enough light to see? Ask the question, what is this light? What illuminates? And this is an important question because this directly impacts our ability to be grateful, our ability to be thankful. And yes, it's the Sunday morning before Thanksgiving. We're talking about being grateful. Y'all should have seen that coming. But we know that there is a distinct connection between our ability to be present, to see clearly life, and our ability to be thankful, right? That we just kind of naturally know that. So we're going to go now to the book of Haggai. And yes, I said the book of Haggai. Where in this, in this book, God's people, we see symptoms of what it looks like when his people are not present with him. What we find is that God's people have climbed to the top of the mountain and they found that they cannot enjoy the view. So let's read that together. Haggai chapter 1. I'll give you a few moments if you don't know where that is in your Bible. Starting in verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. You see, God's people in the book of Haggai find themselves in this season of recovery. They have been in exile for so, so many years. And this was a time where they longed for a better future. They longed to be back in the land that God had given them. But when they get back there, something just doesn't feel right. Something is still missing. The pieces aren't fitting together. But did you catch what's interesting about this passage? What? God comes in and asks. He says, consider your ways. And really what God is asking them to do is to look inward, 
to honestly reflect on our inner self. Other translations here will say, to set your hearts on your ways, on your past behaviors. You see, really, again, we're talking about what Paul was asking. How do we open the eyes of our hearts? And before we kind of get to the why of their situation, why they're in this state, we kind of need to be honest and to realize something. That yes, God's people here have been in exile. They have been ripped from their homes. There is this traumatic, this painful event that has taken place. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that, well, you know, that's kind of on them. Their actions, their behaviors put them in that situation. But we know that for anyone who's made a mistake and had to live with the consequences, that does not make everything feel better. In fact, it makes it worse. That our pain and our trauma is, is hard to deal with. So what we find here is that God's people had to learn to cope with this traumatic, this painful event in their life. They've learned how to cope. And it will seem, as we will see, that they cope. They learn to, ma- they learn to manage their pain by first taking care of themselves. First focusing on their own community, on their own people. You know, there's this culture now built up in God's people where, well, you know, God wasn't with us. He, he let us get into exile. He didn't feel present when we were taken away. So we had to make do on our own. We had to learn to get by on our own. But God comes in and he says, lovingly, consider your ways. And this is what God points out. And this is what they begin to notice. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. So it seems as if this pattern of coping, of taking care of themselves, has followed them back into the land that God has given them. That they have focused so much on restoring their own homes, stabilizing their families, that they have forgotten about God and their life. They have forgotten about his presence. But if we're honest, though, can we really blame them? How many of us have learned to cope with our past hurt, our past trauma and pain? How many of us cope with how we spend? How many of us cope when our marriages begin to struggle or when life gets stressful? We learn to deal, we learn to manage on our our own. But you see what God does here, he doesn't come in bringing judgment. He doesn't come in to bring shame and guilt and regret, but he lovingly comes and says, consider your ways. Think about, has your coping led to contentment? Has this way of living led to a life that is satisfied, that can be fully present? Because where I'm standing, it doesn't look like it, does it? So when they look in, when they reflect on what their past behaviors have led to, they find that God's house has been left untouched after the destruction, has been left in ruins And this leads them to ask a really interesting question. Well, are these two things now related? Is my dissatisfaction with life, where I eat and I still hunger, where I drink and I still thirst, is that related to God's house that has been left in in ruins? Is there something connected while I busy myself with my own life, my own work, and my own house? You see, what's important to remember here is that God's temple, this house, this thing is not just four walls that can be brought back up so they have a place to gather or a place to make sacrifices. 
we know that God's temple is a physical presence, a physical reminder that God is in and among his people. So when they reflect, when they consider their ways, they found that they have left God's presence unpursued, left lacking, and from that there has been this lack of peace in their life. And God doesn't do this by raining now judgment, making shame and regret a part of their life, but he lovingly comes in and says, look in your own hearts. But what is so interesting, though, is how things continue on for God's people. We see that after this inner reflection of the self, they begin to work. They are filled with God's spirit, and they begin rebuilding the temple, and God says this to them. Work, for I am with you declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in you. Fear not. So do you notice the language change there? God is now being experienced and made known among his people, but the temple is not fully complete. They're still in the middle of of building. It's going to take years and years to accomplish So it seems as if clearly God did not need these four walls to be brought back up to be made known. But maybe his people did. Maybe they required this inner looking of the heart to realize how their past coping was bringing pain and hurt still into their present time. It took this inward looking to take notice of this. So what is is happening in Haggai is an invitation to become more present with God. And this is really important when we talk about thanksgiving and gratitude. Because we know that if we are not fully present, not capable of being in the presence of God, then it is almost impossible to be grateful, almost impossible to be thankful. These two things do not coexist. And we see that this journey begins by first looking at the inward eyes of our hearts. Do our eyes of the heart have enough light to see? And you might be wondering, well, okay, this is great, but that's Haggai. That's his people. That was a long time ago. What do we have now? But we gather here this morning because we believe that Jesus Christ did this better than anyone else who's ever been on this earth. That Jesus had this unique ability to break in and pierce the heart of people that changed their lives forever. Right? We, right? we know that. Jesus does this for a tax collector named Zacchaeus who we know many years before he ever met Jesus, had chosen money over close friendships. In Luke 19, we read the story of Zacchaeus, the short tax collector who climbs up into a tree because something about his life was lacking. Something was dissatisfied. So he hears about this man named Jesus, this person from Nazareth, who's going to be coming through town. So he climbs up into a tree because this Jesus is talking about a life that can be lived differently, a world that interacts in a different way where the poor in spirit, the, the meek, those who mourn are blessed. And you have to wonder how poor in spirit Zacchaeus had to be from his loneliness, from his isolation of his occupation and his job. So do you remember what it was? Do you remember what Jesus says to Zacchaeus that opens up his heart, that overwhelms him? He says, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down from there, for I must stay at your house tonight. You see, what Jesus does so beautifully in one sentence is answers this big, huge question that Zacchaeus is wondering. 
And that is, will Jesus his, and his followers, will they simply want to be near me? Simply want to be around me? Will I be stuck living this life alone and isolated? And Jesus comes in and says, no, I want to be with you. I want to be in your presence. Jesus comes in and says, with a relationship with God, you are never going to be alone again. Jesus also does this for a a woman we know simply as a sinner who in Luke chapter 7 barges into a party that she was not invited into. And she collapses at the feet of Jesus and begins to weep and anoint this ointment on Jesus' feet. This woman who was looked down upon, who was judged by men in the community because of her past, but at the same time using her for her own pleasure, for their own pleasure. And so do you remember what Jesus says? What it is that breaks into the heart of this woman, that changes her life forever? She says, he says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. This woman who was stuck in this place of wondering if she would always be identified with her past, if her sins would always label who she was, if she was stuck in this life, Jesus comes in and says, no, you are forgiven. You have a place to belong and you are worthy of love. Jesus comes in and does this in such a simple and powerful way. As I think about these stories, I can't help think of a gentleman that I knew in in Houston where we worked with the church there. He grew up not knowing anything about the love of God, church, or Jesus. And he would be the first one to admit to you that in his life, he had made a lot of mistakes that had brought him to a point of life that he never expected. But thank God that he worked a Sunday morning shift at a McDonald's down the road from where we worshiped. And luckily, there was this family who went to McDonald's every morning for breakfast. I don't know why you choose McDonald's, but that's where they went. So every Sunday, they would go get breakfast, and they eventually got to know this gentleman. And they eventually invited him to church, and eventually, he said yes. And when he came and visited this church, he was surrounded with grace and compassion that he had never known before, something that was completely new to him. That this compassion, this community is what broke into his heart. And he is now one of the most generous people I think I've ever met in my life. He's one of those members that is at everything. Cooks when there's food needed. Chaperones when we need someone to chaperone an event. It was because a group of people surrounded him with love, who took care of him, who showed him that he was loved. And you know, if you were to ask him about, you know, how'd you get like this? Why are you so generous? He, he would probably shrug his shoulders and just say, you know, God's been good to me. God's been good to me. You see, when the eyes of our hearts have been opened, when, grace, when the graces of God becomes a reality that we see, it changes who we are because we can now see the goodness of God around us. So Jesus, in a matter of words, invites us to consider our past, how we have been coping with a life full of haze and fuzziness. But we need to remember that we do not now do this alone. Jesus' love accompanies us. And not to bring shame or regret or guilt, but to bring about redemption. And in this redemption, the haze of life is pulled back 
so that we have a vision of life that sees clearly the wonders of God. But we need to notice something else that happens in all these stories. That in response to this awakening, these eyes being opened, do you notice what they all do? They give. They give generously. Zacchaeus gives half of what he owns and repays his debts. This woman in Luke 7 pours out this expensive ointment on the feet of Jesus and adorns him with worship and adoration. There's something that happens when the grace of Jesus breaks into our heart, and that is that it makes us more generous people. It's because our eyes have been opened to the goodness of God. We become grateful people, people who are giving, because generosity is an outpouring of gratitude. Think about our our life-giving Sundays that we just had. And I've got an update. You, the Highland Church, gave so far $250,000 so that we can give it away. And that only happens when you understand and see the reality of God's presence with you right now. Isn't that right? That we have a hope that our eyes have been opened to the past, how God has been good to us, how he has been with us, taking care of us. So of course we can give because we know that God is good and that we now have confidence in the unknown of the future to put our trust in God so that we can give generously because we now see the reality of God's grace around us. So on our journey of this deeper sense of gratitude and thanksgiving, what is really now we can see a clearer vision of life. What is needed? What does it first require? And that is something or someone who we begin to take notice of, something or someone that we can see who lived such a powerful, graceful life that we cannot take it for granted, that we cannot notice it in our life. What we need is someone who we find in John chapter 1, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, what we need is Jesus. And then now on Sundays, we we have this practice, this spiritual practice of our eyes being reawoken every Sunday when we consider the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we take notice, we are reminded that Jesus lived a life that had so much weight, so much significance, that he loved in such a way that we now understand that Jesus' death on a cross does not only take away our sins, does not only bring about forgiveness, but is this event that we cannot miss. Something that is so powerful that it breaks to the inner hearts of who we are. And we now begin to see the reality of God's goodness around us. So as we prepare for communion, we're about to take the bread and the cup, these two physical things that are kind of hard to notice as well, right? That we hold in our hands that we consume. We consider the wonders of Jesus, we set in our hearts what it means that he loved us so graciously that he would send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that we can be fully present with him. Because we see a life that is full of gratitude is a life that has been overwhelmed by the grace of God. And that now changes everything. Changes the way that we see the world. It changes the way that we are generous with our time and our affection and our love. And this is something we now celebrate in communion.
So if you would like to, you can grab your communion and we will take it here together as we consider how God is opening up our eyes more and more to his goodness and reality around us. Let's pray. Holy Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, that you call us into an intimate relationship with you. And we now invite you into the space of remembering, into the space of considering our hearts, how they need you, how they long for you and desire you. Lord, we are overwhelmed by your grace, this truth of your death on a cross and overcoming of death through your resurrection. Now we are moved to be people who are generous, who are grateful, who know that you have been good to us. And we now remember it in our communion of the bread and the cup that we now take together as a body united in this new way of seeing life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.